Shalom Aleichem and welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Nadia Valman. Nadia is reader in English literature at Queen Mary, University of London. She studied at the University of Cambridge and has worked at the University of Southampton as part of the Parks Institute for Jewish-Non-Jewish Relations, and since 2007, Queen Mary, University of London. Nadia has written and edited numerous books, including The Jewish and 19th Century British Literary Culture, The Jew in Late Victorian and Edwardian Culture, Between East End and East Africa, British Jewish Women Writers, 19th Century Jewish Literature, a reader, and is currently researching the literature of East London. Welcome, Nadia. Hi. Hi. So glad to um, have you here and caught up with you here at the Center. Um, you are at the Yiddish Book Center this week as a faculty member for our Teach Great Jewish Books Teacher Summer Seminar. It's a mouthful. Um, and I wondered before we get started if you can tell me a little bit about what you're doing as part of that program. Well, I'm teaching a course about Jewish literature and modernity, and it begins in the mid-19th century with um, German, German Jewish modernity. And it continues in the later 19th century and the 20th century with some Anglo-Jewish literature, which is much less well-known, but I think equally interesting and compelling and fascinating texts. Um, one in particular? Yes, I'm teaching um, an author who I've done a lot of research on, who I think is very much underrated, um, who is Israel Zangwill. And Zangwill was a 19th century British writer who was actually a bestseller in his day. And he later became much more, more well-known, and especially in America, he's well-known as writing The Melting Pot and coining that phrase, which, of course, became central to the American self-understanding. Um, and he was also known as being a territorialist, a Zionist who was in favor of a homeland, of, a homeland for the Jews that was not Palestine. But he was also a really interesting writer. And his first successful book was called Children of the Ghetto, and it was published in 1892 um, at the behest of the Jewish Publication Society of America, in fact. So you're working with secondary school teachers uh, who are Jewish school, day school teachers. Um, is this new to them? Yes, nobody has read any of this literature before. Um, I think that many of the issues that these writers deal with are ones that resonate very strongly now. And many of them are dealing in lots of different ways and with lots of different kinds of literary results with the question of how Jews forge new kinds of Jewish identities for themselves in a world that's rapidly changing and within a Jewish community and sort of on the margins of Jewish communities that are themselves also changing. And as I understand it, only having dipped my toe briefly um, before we got together today, he is, he identifies as Jewish, and he's writing about this community. Um, and he does so in a way that, um, in the little bits of passages I've read, have some detachment about them, and maybe some he brings, um, do I want to use the word attitude? Or uh, he, there he, he he's exploring it, I think, both personally, is that safe to say, and as um, supposedly as an, as an observer, and it's a very rich immigrant population. That's right. He's writing about the new immigrant population in East London who have been moving to the UK from the, the early 1880s. And they are 
um, in their tens of thousands, not as huge as the population that came to America, but certainly for the London Jewish community, they multiplied the size, size of that community by many, many times. Now, Zhang was a very interesting character. He's a very maverick figure in lots of ways. And it's true to say that he was writing about this community from a distance. He'd grown up um, and spent his much of his childhood and also his young adulthood um, in amongst them. He taught at the Jews Free School, which was the big public school in, in East London um, for Jews. And so he witnessed all of this um, immigrant influx and um, uh, understood and uh, keenly observed what he was seeing. But he had moved away from there by the time he came to write the novel. So the novel has both a sense of an insider's knowledge and also a writer's detachment. And what do you think he took away from this, if I may? Well, I think you mentioned the word attitude just before, and that, that's an interesting word. I think that um, JPS, when they commissioned the novel from Zangwill, really were after something that would um, provide cultural uplift. This was a time when the subject of Jewish immigration was becoming really controversial, and there were increasing uh, cries for restriction of immigration to England. There had never been any. Um, there had been open immigration until... Um, what happened in the end uh, until the early 20th century but it, at this period in the 1890s there were quite a lot there was quite a lot of loud noise being made to restrict immigration and quite a lot of hostility to Jewish immigrants um, so the JPS wanted some kind of literary intervention here and to explain Jewish immigrant life to a broad readership and so I think uh, what they were after was something that would present um, the nobility of the struggles of poor Jews in straitened circumstances in East London what they got from Zangwill was something much more complex. Um, it was really a portrait of a very fractious, very, very divided community, a community divided uh, between men and women, between um, lots of different political factions, whether those be Zionists, socialists, anarchists, lots of different um, competing institutions, newspapers, um, lots of interference from the established Jewish community. Um, and lots of different possibilities for the future, for the future of Jews. So I think that what they got was something, um, not, I mean, there is, you know, there is a lot of uh, satiric um, observation within all of that. Um, but it, isn't, it certainly isn't an easy book of cultural uplift. I've read a couple of passages um, in the piece that you wrote. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. He's very... Um, I just described him upstairs as somewhat uh, pictorial, um, his descriptions, but at the same time, they're a little damning, may I say. Um, there's one about a, a child who's being dropped off at the school in her petticoat, which he just sort of drops in there, um, the lice, which is descriptive, and it reminds us of the challenges of life for an immigrant, and at the same time, it's a little disdainful. Is that safe to say? Well, I think that he is not shying away from the realities of poverty. And I think he could have presented a much more sanitized image of, um, of poor struggling immigrants, um, struggling to keep clean. Um, but he, I think, wanted to show the, the reality of what it was like for um, people who really were mostly arriving with nothing, often defrauded on their way to England, um, often defrauded whilst they're in England. Um, so 
I think um, the disdain that you you detect possibly comes from that sense of him having moved beyond that and his anticipated reader being far from that. Um, but I think it's also, you know, just giving giving them a really, uh, uh, I mean, pushing into their face the realities of poverty. Um, but that scene that you describe, which is children being kind of um, dragged into school, kicking and screaming into the school, is one of his uh, most hard-hitting chapters. And it's about the Jews' free school, where he was a teacher and a pupil. And, <clears throat> and in particular, he is, um, he is highly critical of the management of the school, and in particular, its policy about Yiddish. And you describe... Um the book, Children of the Ghetto, um, and I love this description. It's a big, baggy monster of a book, brimming with vitality and jangling with questions and arguments about the destiny of Jewish immigrants in Britain. What is more, it has an acute sense of place. And I want to stop there because um, it made me want to order the book. Because when you say it has an acute sense of place, I think it does. It brings us into that neighborhood, yes? That's absolutely true. And I had read this novel for years and years and years. And um, I had started to do walking tours with my students. Um, and I suddenly realized that this book is itself a kind of walking tour. It's a sort of geographical um, wander around Spitalfields, the area of Jewish settlement. And it sort of looks in through the windows of all of these Jewish residences and institutions, and whether that be the soup kitchen or the Jewish newspaper, it sort of, you know, pokes its nose in <clears throat> on the arguments that people are having. And um, it sort of takes us on a, on a kind of tour. And these places are very, very vividly evoked with ex extreme detail. And where if you go to Spitalfields today, you can still see many of the places that he set the novel in because those are real places. Thus, it's, it's a realist environment that he created. Which segues into you've created an app, yes, a walking tour? That's right. I thought it was just waiting for this. It was um, a very interesting opportunity for me to experiment with using a literary text to explore a place and to, to also to think about what writers do with environment, what they do with a place when they put a place into books. So I created a, a walking tour uh, app, which you can download to a smartphone if you visit London. You can also see all the material on a website. So it has a website version. And um, it takes several sites, um, I think seven sites in um, the novel, all of which are really important because in, in different ways they sort of encapsulate the social and political questions that Jews are dealing with at the time. Um, and they do that through um, particular geographical sites. So I've mentioned the Jews Free School is one of them and the Soup Kitchen is another one. Um, and there are others such as the, um, the sweatshop, the workshop where um, people are, are um, laboring, um, the, the small shul, the shtibel, the chevra, that, um, where people are worshipping, and um, the attic space where the central character lives with her family. I'd be curious in teaching um, or using the London um, immigrant experience in the book, um, in, in you, you talk about the app and how a place can also help you to see into the window of it. I think that's a, um, a really interesting way of looking at this. Um, what, what do you think can be gleaned from that understanding in London? Is there any universality to it? And do we, um, 
I mean, I think it's an introduction for me. I don't, I never thought of that as an American. We think of our Lower East Side. And we think of other, some other smaller, but that's sort of the quintessential American immigrant experience as you land there and, and move on. So is this for you in terms of England, um, the, the consequential place? Well, I think the Tenement Museum in the Lower East Side is, mm-hmm. is really interested in really similar questions. So what was everyday life like? You know, what were the spaces that immigrants were inhabiting? What was it really like to live in those spaces? And I think that... Um, I was very interested in that, in looking at how Zangwill is um, is similarly interested in the inhabitation of spaces and what that um, experience of a place is like. Um, there is more universality as well because with a walking tour, you're not just uh, it's not just a trip down memory lane into the past. It's also a present. So you're simultaneously thinking about the people that lived here before, the uh, texts that texts that were written about this in the past but you're also experiencing the place in the present and Spitalfields in London in East London is um, has been subject to many waves of immigration and the most recent wave of immigration um, after the Jewish immigration Jews lived in in Spitalfields until the 1960s and 1970s and then um, Bengali immigrants came and um, lived in the same houses and worked in the same workshops and worshipped in the same spaces. So many of those um, Jewish spaces became Bengali Muslim spaces. So one of the things that you're doing with the app is you're understanding that layered um, experience of space and how immigrant areas often have this experience of being layered over by successive waves of immigrants. And I think that it also helps us understand that successive ways of immigrants are often experiencing very similar issues. So, um, for example, um, Jews in Zangwill's novel are grappling with Yiddish, what happens to Yiddish in the, in the present uh, and in the future. And the school has a particularly restrictive policy on Yiddish in uh, the 1890s when Zangwill is writing, so that Yiddish in London very quickly died out. Um, and Bengalis today um, are very carefully preserving their language. There's a very different attitude to having two languages, to being born with one language and acquiring another. And really that sense that it's a valuable thing to be multilingual is a much more modern idea. So um, in we, we can see the, um, immigrant communities grappling with the same questions and sometimes um, coming to different conclusions and coming to different outcomes. It's interesting. So that there is a there's a thread that pulls through, and it's a thread that helps people to realize that uh, the idea of cultural heritage is one that should be preserved. Yes, and I think we're 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 much more uh, we we much better understand that now. Uh, we much better understand um, what can be lost if we run away from the past too fast. And I think that. Um, Zangwill in his novel is highly conscious of that and in that respect he's, a, he's really standing on his own. So in this scene that we've been talking about where children are being dragged into school, um, Zangwill describes this school as a, um, a kind of machine of anglicization and he imagines children in all their different shapes and forms with all their different languages, immigrant, Jewish immigrant children coming from lots of different places in Europe going through this machine and being chomped up and um, turned into something else and kind of spat out the other end as good British citizens with a full English education, um, well-versed in English, 
but with no connection to the past and particularly without Yiddish. And he is scathing about that. And in this respect, he was really on his own. He was recognizing what would later be the cultural cost of suppressing Yiddish. May I ask you how you came to the book? Well, I'd been reading it for many years because my expertise is Victorian literature. So I um, was always fascinated by this novel, which in many ways is a Jewish version of um, English novels of the time. And the central character in Children of the Ghetto is a, a young woman who is um, searching. She is on a spiritual search. Um, she is a child who is a big reader as a, as a young girl, asks questions um, and eventually finds her way out of the ghetto and into education and um, into uh, becoming a writer. But that doesn't end her quest, it begins her quest. And she is searching for different, she's searching for different answers as to how to be Jewish in the modern world and indeed whether to be Jewish in the modern world. And this is a big question for many people in the late 19th century. There are many people who are questioning their faith, um, who are trying to find ways of um, ways of managing social mobility. Many lives are changing and writers are, are thematizing that in their work. So I was always interested in a book that um, uh, that put the Jews on the map as having um, on, um, having grappling with those questions too in such interesting ways. I like this novel because it doesn't come to a single conclusion. And that is a very typical thing in the 1890s. There's a real sense that, you know, the answers are not obvious. We don't know what the future looks like. And I like that about it too. Uh, but I think I also came to it because um, my own roots are in East London, our immigrant roots in East London. Um, my grandmother was born in exactly the same area that uh, this novel is set in. And I grew up with these tales of the East End. Um, of course, I didn't listen to them. I didn't listen to my grandmother, or at least I felt I knew those stories by heart, so I didn't need to listen to them. And it was only when I came to work at Queen Mary, which is a college of the University of London that is itself situated in the East End, in the immigrant area, in the traditional immigrant area of East End. Um, and I started to just walk around. Um, I started to reflect on um, the importance of a text that had put this place and this story on the map as early as, 18, as the 1890s. And um, I, once I started, I couldn't stop. I, I became very fascinated by the writing of this place and the repeated writing of this place all across the 20th century. And currently you're working on literature of East London. Um, um, that will become a book? Yes, that will become a book. Um, and uh, it will encompass work from the mid-19th century. People started writing about the East End in the mid-19th century, started calling it the East End um, in the mid-19th century. Um, but it will go to the present day. So this is a place that has been written about repeatedly in English literature. It's a, It bears some kind of important fascination. And I think that's because... In many ways, it's the place where some of those key national questions about um, immigration, about um, uh, uh, the changes within communities, about regeneration, gentrification, all of the, the things that are very interesting to us now culturally um, have all been cited in the East End. Do you think Zangwell would have been... Um, surprised, pleased, uh, what have you, in terms of the resonance that still is, you know, attached to the book? 
maybe resonance isn't the right word, but just yeah. that that it, that it's it's had a life. Yes, I mean, very interesting. When Sangwon was writing about um, a, a service, a worship, um, a service in a in a small shul in the East End, he wrote about the Jewish liturgy, and he wrote about it as a very heterogeneous, mixed thing with accretions from all over the centuries, all through the centuries, um, f and very full of um, all kinds of different things. I mean, he says things like recipes and um, exhortations to God and um, many different um, incompatible bits and pieces. So this is how he, de he describes Jewish liturgy. Mm -hmm. But I think he's also describing the place. And uh, I think that he has a real sense of this place as one that is layered and um, that will continue to be so. And I think he will have had a sense that it, uh, it, the novel would continue to resonate in that way, in that sense that it um, projects into the future as a novel about a place that continues to be layered in that way. And I think he also understood that those questions of modernity that he was grappling with in the novel were ones um, that would continue to um, continue to be central to literature all across the 20th century and beyond. Fascinating. Um, well, thank you so much for taking time to visit today. This is just, it's wonderful, and it'll set me on the path of reading. Um, we'll have to have another conversation after that. Um, and for those who are listening again, um, who are lucky enough to find their way to London, um, the app is? The app is called Zangwill's Spitalfields. Um, so Zangwill uh, is the name of the author. His uh, You spell it Z-A-N-G-W-I-L-L. And Spitalfields is the place. So you can download that free from um, the uh, Apple Store or App Store or Google Play. Um, but if you're unable to get to London, you can still go on a virtual tour of Spitalfields by looking at the website. And that's www.zangwellspitalfields.co.uk. Great. Thanks again. Um, thanks for introducing us to all of this and for your, your continued work. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Blakefeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon. Thank you.